Hello, this is Sam Orgill from Living and Working Abroad, a Proact Partnership Expatriate Advice Service for families and business that are living in a country that is different to their home country. I'm in my studio today, uh, overlooking the Mediterranean and bringing you three ways that social insurance has changed and factors for people to consider when living and working abroad in 2018. Really interesting, but important to everybody. Um, when we move abroad, the home country uh, may have provided some pension, some health care, and, and some um, uh, financial support in case of unemployment or, or accident. Um, you, you know those rights that are earned by credits that are paid into the working scheme as a tax call it social insurance or national insurance during your working life when you move to another country the, these change and uh, these these are always a concern when an expat is looking to relocate abroad and and live and work abroad so with regard to eu brexit in particular this is an important issue because the eu is a block 28 countries have a common policy so you negotiate with one uh, body to oversee the, the, the access to these social security rights. However, that agreement is, is, is technically for the EEA, the European Economic Area, which is the EU, uh, 28 plus a few other countries like Switzerland, Iceland and, and Norway. Uh, but these reciprocal agreements, while they are are under the EU banner, in fact, fiscal treatment, uh, tax work, is, 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 is still with the sovereign parliaments uh, of each member state. Now, the UK with Brexit are trying to get, you know, their sovereignty back and, and their, their Supreme Court as the, as the decision maker in, in all their affairs. Um, uh, but they've always had this control over tax. There is harmonisation with the, the policies of uh, social insurance, but uh, and, and 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 taxes uh, such as VAT. But the the individual decisions and how they are operated are, are, are right down to the individual finance uh, ministers and departments. So what I want to do is, is have a look today. At, at some of these changes and how they affect uh, EU, uh, how they affect expats with EU Brexit uh, coming up. S social insurance agreements are independent agreements. Cyprus and the UK have had a, a social insurance agreement since 1957. Uh, th this was uh, an agreement which sought to ensure that people living and working abroad from the home country going from the UK to Cyprus would have protection of healthcare, um, pensions and uh, injury and health and uh, disability and unemployment allowances. However, the, the, the objective of the agreement is to make sure that there's no discrimination between the expat living in the foreign country and the citizens of the home country. So it, it doesn't mean 
that by leaving your home country, which might have very high standards of welfare benefits like Norway, Sweden, Denmark, that you'll get the same social welfare benefits in another country. Um, so, for example, the Cyprus healthcare system has no nursing or long-term care facilities. They will treat uh, uh, somebody living, working or retired in Cyprus as an expat uh, for medical conditions, but they don't provide long-term nursing care or uh, accommodation for recovery in a hospital or in the community or any uh, care for long-term chronic illness uh, that, that is not an, a, a, an acute medical condition. Uh, juxtaposed with the UK health service, which gives them massive problems because the UK citizens enjoy free health care and home visits and nursing care and long-term care um, for all of their lives. So it's a very comprehensive system, which uh, as a member of the EU, the UK has to offer equally to to all members so it has to treat everybody the same and this is a, a big expense and a big liability and a big reason for the uk seeking brexit um, but the uk and cyprus did establish a social insurance bilateral agreement in 1957 long before the uk or cyprus entered the eu and this uh, can only change uh, th there's no reason why this uh, initial agreement can't be reinstated um, after the UK leave. Uh, Australia, for example, has bilateral agreements, social insurance agreements with 32 countries. That includes Estonia, uh, but it doesn't include the UK. So a UK expat going to Australia has to live and work in Australia for 10 years before they can get reciprocal uh, benefits for unemployment, injury or, or medical cover. Uh, the UK has 14 reciprocal agreements plus the EU uh, 27 and the EEA countries. Um, and while the Cyprus-UK agreement predates the EU common policy, it, it's entirely possible and conceivable that the UK, after EU Brexit, will be able to maintain and update that 1957 agreement with Cyprus. Even so... A country like Cyprus operates a social security system where expats must contribute for three years before claiming benefits. Now, this is the same for Cyprus citizens, so it's not discriminating against Cypriots, um, but the, 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 the qualification is different for each country. Ten years for Australia, three years for Cyprus, six months for the UK. Other than within the EU, a retired person moving within the EU will get reciprocal benefits on tax registration in that new country. So let's have a look at the three big changes affecting social insurance for people living and working abroad. Uh, first of all, uh, I want to cover the, the area of social dumping. Uh, President Macron has um, secured uh, a, an EU agreement to to stop EU dumping. 
uh, which is under a practice where, for example, a Polish company could employ workers to work in other EU countries and they would uh, uh, but pay their social insurance in the home country, Poland, which has lower benefits and lower tax rates. Meanwhile, in the in, in, they would be working in another country. In the future, uh, anybody working will have to pay the EU rate of the country in which they're living in. Secondly, uh, the UK have introduced uh, a levy for people employing expats. Now, at the moment, it only applies to people uh, that are non-EU workers. And, and each company has to pay a £1,000 levy per person per year from 2017-18 uh, for each employee. Now, this could easily be extended uh, once uh, the UK leaves the EU. And so there's real issues for the expats to consider, uh, expat, the companies employing expats living and working in, in the UK. UK employers of expats have got a big, big, big issue uh, to consider. Unless they're employing skilled PhD level, tertiary education level um, employees from around the world, then they face a thousand pound levy per person. Uh, you have to assume that once the transition period ends at the, in December 2020, Going into 2021, if you're employing non-skilled or low-skilled EU citizens, they are going to uh, attract this £1,000 a year levy that is currently being enforced on non-EU workers. This may not come to pass. Uh, we will know absolutely certainly by the time we get to Brexit on the 29th of March next year. Uh, but once we enter into that period and we're in the transition period, things are unlikely to change in terms of the rights and the freedoms of people in the, in, in the EU. Remember that the transition period has already been confirmed that uh, expats, um, EU expats living in the UK will be able to enjoy the same rights as they do today in the EU right through to the end of the transition period in December 2020. And UK expats living in Europe will enjoy the same uh, rights in terms of these social insurance agreements through to the end of December 2020. Now, the third change of social insurance in 2018 we need to look at is, is to consider that uh, signing uh, bilateral uh, social insurance agreements around the world is a normal practice and, and the responsibility of a sovereign government. The, e, the UK is looking to um, re, regain sovereignty over its own laws and its, and, and its parliament become and high courts become the predominant lawmaker and decision maker in that country. Um, uh, the EU28, currently, the decisions are all made by the EU Council, by the EU Commission, the Executive, uh, and the EU Parliament, which is elected, has largely no say. So it's all an unelected constitutional um, 
association which dictates the practices based upon uh, the appointed leaders making a collective decision. Now, um, if you look at the US at the moment, Donald Trump has come in and kicked up a fuss around the world with everything. And we all thought we were going to have World War Three, we're going to have trade wars, we're going to have all sorts of uh, nonsense going on. But actually, if you look at the words, and now a year into his presidency, you look at the actions, what Donald Trump is, is promoting is free trade. And, and all he's looking for is equal treatment so that he, he, he argues with North Korea, he argues with Canada, with Mexico, with EU. All he wants to do is to change the bilateral social insurance, trade, uh, currency agreements so that they're treated equally. So Donald Trump could be a great force for the World Trade uh, Agreement, where you've got open free trade agreements under the World Trade Organization. Um, but there's still tariffs within that because people are protecting borders. And the EU is a, is a very protectionist block. So uh, while they, they will promote to their population of 500 million people that they're a free trade area within the EU, what the EU do not promote is that they actually impose very high tariffs on agriculture products and manufactured products um, and intellectual products coming from around the world, including the USA, including South America, including China, Africa and Russia. And this is a bit of a beef with those countries because um, uh, South America and Africa can produce lots of cheap um, uh, uh, farming products. Uh, China can produce lots of cheap manufactured products and Russia can produce lots of cheap um, uh, 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 products like oil and, and uh, tin and, and other metals like aluminium into the world market at a lower price than the EU would want to sell it for. The EU tariffs are a border to entry. So Russia is very good at, 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 at commodities. Um, and, and Trump is breaking down some of those barriers. He's not looking for a fight with Russia on commodities. He just wants equal treatment. So if you're in, uh, so that Russian uh, American commodities get the same treatment going into Russia as Russian commodities coming into the U.S. Uh, it's the same with Chinese. He wants the same treatment for Amer American manufacturers trading in China as China manufacturers trading in the USA. And, and with South uh, America and, and Africa, he wants the same treatment for, for African products, farming products, as, as he does with American farming products. And with the EU, he wants the EU to stop imposing tariffs on American intellectual property, American banking, American car manufacturers, that, that the UK otherwise uh, uh, protect by the, the, the tariffs which they impose to protect the German manufacturers uh, of cars 
and the and the um, uh, uh, farming people, be they in the UK, in France, in Spain, or or anywhere else in the EU. So those are the issues that that they're looking for. And if you consider that principle, then the the bilateral social insurance treaty that the EU dictate around the world. It limits the member states and what they can do and how they can do it. But actually, it's a grey area because it's not like a trade agreement. Because while the EU binds the EU 28 countries into uh, a general format, those that that format of bilateral social insurance treaty already existed around the world. Cyprus and the UK had a, a, an agreement in 1957. And, and, you know, Australia have got over 30 social insurance agreements. The UK have got um, um, 18 outside the EU. So the, the social insurance agreements do, do exist outside the EU. You don't need to be in the EU to have a bilateral social insurance agreement. Cyprus and the UK had one from 1957. This is almost certainly going to be updated. Uh, but that can't be in, put into force until the UK has left the EU. And that's not Brexit date, um, because after Brexit date on the 29th of March 2018, the governments have uh, confirmed that there'll be a transitional period when nothing will change for 21 months till December 2021. Um, meanwhile, Though UK in the in the draft withdrawal treaty can start signing new agreements, uh, such as a, a double taxation treaty. Uh, Cyprus and the UK signed a draft revision of their double taxation treaty in March. Nothing to do with the EU, March 2018, but an update of the the existing double taxation treaty to to enable fair taxation treatment of business and family living and working abroad, Cypriots in the UK and British people in Cyprus. So the bilateral agreement uh, with uh, the UK can sign it with each of the 28 countries in the EU, just like the USA is seeking bilateral trade agreements, bilateral social agreements, bilateral nuclear disarmament agreements with individual countries rather than trading in a block process which um, the Trump administration would only argue become a closed shop. And if you look at uh, the, the EU, that would exactly confirm that arrangement where you have uh, an overpriced tariff to pay for uh, this fantastically expensive bureaucracy which is unelected, which is unelected. Uh, the president of China is not elected. The president of Russia is elected. The president of USA is elected. The president of the European Commission is elected by the, by the Council of Ministers. The Council of Ministers, the parliamentarians may be elected, but the executive is, is, is not a democratic process. And within that, it creates fat, can create complacency, it can play, it creates self-interest, uh, which is 
at the source of the EU Brexit uh, debate for the UK and the dissatisfaction with other EU member states about maintaining the status quo or becoming an independent state. So we're, we're looking at that and saying that at the moment the UK and the EU are bound within one negotiating agreement but with social insurance they have this individual responsibility so they can set what level of benefits they pay to their citizens and to the people signed up to the bilateral agreement. So everybody in the EU has the same rights as the citizens of any of those EU countries to social insurance benefits. So uh, an EU citizen goes from France to Spain, they get the same social insurance benefits, in, uh, uh, the equivalent social insurance benefits of a Spanish citizen. A British person goes to Poland and gets the equivalent social insurance benefit of a Polish citizen. That doesn't mean to say that the, the, the Polish or the Cypriot or the Greek or the Swedish or the British or the French government can't offer different uh, levels of benefit, but everybody's treated the same. So um, it, it's for sure that new bilateral treatments will emerge, new double taxation treaties, new social insurance treaties during this period. So thank you for my long-winded summary there. We said the three things that have changed is one, is that we need to look at the new double taxation treaties and bilateral social insurance agreements being made by uh, countries around the world uh, and with the UK and the countries that it will make those arrangements with in, in the light of EU Brexit. Those agreements existed before, they'll exist afterwards. So we're waiting to see how they will emerge but the UK can sign agreements after Brexit and enforce them from the date that they leave the, the EU. The UK have had a, a social insurance bilateral treaty for medical care, pension and benefits for people living and working abroad since 1957. They will continue. It just won't have the tag EU in the way. Uh, in the short term, we need to look at social dumping because companies operating in the EU, an EU company based in Romania, employing people that work in France or the UK or Spain will now have to start uh, paying social insurance for those people at the French or the Spanish or the UK rates. So this is a, a big issue that the companies need to review their workforce, their location, their residency and what the cost base of their business is going to be going forward. And thirdly, uh, UK companies are now charged a £1,000 a year levy for employing people, non-skilled workers outside the EU. The only people that are exempt is if you've got a tertiary level of, of education, i.e. PhD level. Uh, this rule of, of taxing non-skilled workers could be extended to EU citizens after the end of the transition period in 2021. So UK companies need to consider what their profile of employees are and what their situation is going forward. 
one company in the UK, for example, Travel Lodge, has already undertaken uh, a, a, a tactic, a business decision to enable all their EU expats living and working in the UK uh, to get a permanent residency and a citizenship in the UK. Because if they do that now, before Brexit, before the end of the transition period, then they won't have to pay the levy afterwards. So they're paying for their their workers to get citizenship in the country in which they're resident uh, before Brexit to save them the £1,000 a year levy afterwards. And this is something that all uh, UK companies employing EU citizens can do now. And there's a spin-off benefit for EU expats living and working in, in the UK because obviously once they've acquired citizenship they've got a right to remain in the UK indefinitely. We've heard a lot in the last few months about the Windrush uh, generation uh, of people that came to the UK in, uh, in the 50s. They were questioned over their citizenship. Get your paperwork right and that's not an issue. What you need to do is consult with uh, professionals, expat, uh, product offer a free review, contact us at productpartnership.com slash contact hyphen us or read our blogs, register for our, our newsletters and follow our podcasts. But employers and families uh, and expats living and working abroad in the EU, in the UK or, or in the EU should talk to us now and find ways to make sure they can protect their families, future health care, future pensions and future uh, social welfare benefits in the event of uh, whatever event is going to happen for them. Uh, Proact Partnership Expatriate Advice is for families and business and we were with you every step of the way and, and we want to protect your family, your loved ones for these issues. So contact us. And, and, and see what your, your circumstance is from a review and make sure that your family can be protected going forward before Brexit, after Brexit and in the future. Brexit doesn't mean Brexit. Brexit means different rules. And consider the rules. We know what they are largely now. Consider what the rules are and how your family needs to adapt and change to meet with your requirements to save tax, to protect assets and, and to secure your residency and, and your living and working abroad future. This is Sam Orgill, Product Sam Orgill, uh, Product Partnership, Living and Working Abroad blog. Join us every Friday, every Thursday, every Thursday, 5pm Cyprus, 3pm UK time and we create this blog or we run a live webinar uh, for people living and working abroad and family and business overseas. Thank you for listening. Uh, do us a favour, like, share and comment on this podcast and we'll get back to you. If you ask your question in the podcast in the comment sheet, we will answer that and, and we'll get that back to you. And if that's the way that you want to engage with us, then we're here to help. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. Uh, thank you. Good night.